This week's podcast is sponsored by Seven Oaks Sound and Vision. We're running a large amount of Black Friday and Cyber Monday bargains this week. The deals go live at 1 minute past 12 on Friday the 24th of November. So head over to ssav.com to bag yourself a bargain. Hello and welcome to the Beforeness Podcast for Monday the 20th of November. It's episode 201. I'm enjoying my this edition. Assistant editor Steve Withers. No, um, I was just uh, looking at porn. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. Wait a minute. You guys aren't the real Avengers. Audio reviewer Ed Selly. Can you summon an army of spiders? And special guest star Mark Butright. Solid dude. Some outstanding, truly outstanding acting there from the guys. As, as you're well done. Permission to jump in an X-wing and blow something up. Permission yeah. granted. <laughs> Thank you. That was that was a line in one of the new TV spots, and I just I, I achingly longed for him to say "blow shit up" rather than something <laughs> up. I'm just thinking, come on, Star Trek can bring in the F word. Surely Star Wars can can say shit. You know what I mean? No, I mean, just I mean, Star Wars should create its own swear word like "frack" in um, Battlestar Galactica. That would be quite good. Steve, you're either breaking up or you're really really croaky. That uh, is my voice. He is very old, Phil. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think he needs a drink of water, and uh, it's, it's obviously getting to that time of the year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I have woke ha- up this morning. And have you had like, your flu oh, jab, Steve? Steve? He's gone for his horse, has gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was trying not to do a Donald Trump there. I was going to, I put it on, drank my water, then came back. Have you fallen? <laughs> Did you pull the cord to, to Jimmy, who's in the control room, tell him you've fallen? <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the the new TV spot for this, uh, Last Jedi, and and he says that to Leah, and I'm, I, it just he should have said that he should have said blow some shit up because blow something up just it doesn't have the same feeling of anger, does it really? So it also suggests that he's going to be entirely arbitrary. He might just you know go blue on blue or <laughs> get really angry brown on brown. The that sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm waiting on Mister Butler. He's usually got a killer uh, line about now. On honestly. No, sorry. <laughs> Put him on too, the spot there, didn't Yeah, you? it's too early in the morning for him, isn't it? It's, I mean, we were just starting. It's only it's only 10 minutes past 10 on a Friday morning. Um, next Friday is Black Friday. Again. According yeah. to Argos, it's this, Black, it's this Friday. It started it's, for Argos. All right. Well, I think I think it runs for about six weeks, does it not? Yes, and it actually, does. there was a, an interesting bit on BBC News, which uh, they'd done some research on the last three or four Black Fridays. What they'd actually found was that the products bought on Black Friday were actually 10% cheaper when bought in December <laughs> than they were on Black Friday. <laughs> I can well believe that. Yeah, I, th- I think everybody now has to do some kind of research because no one believes... That when it, when it comes down to a, you know x amount off, you naturally go back to try and find no. what what they put it up by in the previous kind of three weeks or something because it, nothing seems to be in any way heavily discounted in the way that it's advertised. Yeah. I mean it's it's the old trick. It's been they've been doing it for centuries, salesmen. Which is there's genuinely one or two absolute stonking deals because they've maybe got one or two products that they can do that with, and once they are gone, they're gone. Everything else is a stock shift and exercise, and you're not yeah. getting huge bargains. You, if you're lucky, you'll get a major bargain if you're quick and you get in there and you get the one or two items that genuinely are. The rest of the time, they're not losing money on it. No, but, no. you know, let the poor people have their holiday. <laughs> let, 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 let them fight. The peasants not, run wild. Throw money in the street. Here's some coppers. I have to say that, um, <laughs> historically, for me at least, in the UK, I have found... 
the normally less well advertised Cyber Monday has thrown up better, certainly better personal deals than Black Friday ever has. I've made, I, you know, I bought a mobile phone with a good third off list price, um, and then last year I picked up an accessory for this laptop for not a lot of money. Uh, it's just that those sort of things, it's really weird. It's like actually manufacturers seem to put the effort in, but then forget to tell anyone. So um, <laughs> if you are looking for something, uh, I would seriously, seriously have a look at what's being collated for Cyber Monday deals over some of the Black Friday ones. Some of those are actually really quite useful if you're shopping specifically for technology. Yeah, I'd have a little look at the, the LG B7 because that's dropped like a f***ing stone since I bought it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shut up, fuck. <laughs> It's not better than anyway. It's not better than anyway. Yeah, you, you, you can just sense that that was actually just a very useful public service announcement and not at all a shrieking cry of resentment against an unkind world. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, you're better waiting to December, according to the, the latest research, which was on BBC News. And, you know, BBC, they're, they're, they're a good news source, aren't they? They're not fake, fake news, news, are they? Fake news. <laughs> The best thing about things like Cyber Monday is you can do all the shopping without getting off your ass. You? Yeah, that's absolutely ideal. Um, major to be point. fair, we've done most of our Christmas shopping already, um, mainly because it was done online. <laughs> but um, no, I, the thing is, I've already got my bargain of the month. Um, it turned up unexpectedly. Uh, well, I found it unexpectedly online over the weekend. And was I it vinyl only... related? It might have been vinyl related, yes. I found a copy of uh, Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. Uh, an unplay- Not a first pressing, because they are outrageously expensive now but one of the represses from a few years ago never been played but it'd been taken out of its shrink wrap including postage got it here for under 20 quid i am very happy with that what an album what good. an album good stuff yeah. um really really good that's a conversation for another time when we really have run out of material but i noticed <laughs> trying to drag this torturously back on track we've got a full and exciting running order compiled by steve so probably a change let's lock me have me talk about records for yeah well I, we were mentioning black friday and all the rest of it and um I, I think one of the things that's really disappeared from from the high street um and th- they have to get a lot better at because of online sales and all the rest of it is customer service and i personally just had the best customer experience i've ever had uh, in terms of a consumer um and it all spawned from the issues that I've been talking about over the months with the Mustang, having this intermittent fault that nobody could find, and it, but which was dangerous. And when it happened, um, basically the car went into it was some sort of limp mode and so on. Only ever happened now and again, really intermittent. And all the times that the car went back to the Ford dealer here, uh, the local one, Lucas, um, they could never find a fault. And it came to a head this week because basically we were starting to go round and round in circles and basically I asked for a resolution and the resolution is, to cut a long story short, um, that they're putting me in a brand new car, even though I've done 12,500 miles in since January in the one that I had. Um, they're going to swap me over into, it's an almost identical, same colour, same spec, just slightly different wheels on the same deal. Um, and it's cost me nothing to do that because of this intermittent fault and I've got to say in terms of customer service um, that's that's just unheard of these days I think it's pretty impressive by all accounts uh, I mean that's but by the same token um, 
you know, uh, you always used to be in the days when we communicated by phone and post that you didn't get to see that people didn't necessarily expand on their positive customer service experiences desperately well. I think the balance is evening out now over social media forums, etc. Don't get me wrong, we're still far more likely to get up into a rage <laughs> and spew bile all yeah. over them but we but are also likely to, to to say when companies have done excellent work and, and i've got to say you, you hit an important point there ed which is that throughout this um i never once lost my temper or got angry with them or even though i might have been frustrated and so on and i'll I give them plenty of opportunity to get on and get stuff done and i think today's culture where people automatically start shouting um, odds and, and the rights and all the rest of it. Actually, if you approach the problem sensibly and um, you're open to letting them try and fix it, and if, if it ends up that there is no fix, then they then feel obliged uh, or more obliged to solve the issue for you. If you go in shouting the odds right from the start and saying, I'm going to get my solicitor involved and all the rest of it, all you're going to do is get get people's backs up and, and you're not going to get the help that you need. Um, so I think there's a bit of that, and I think you know, with social media the way it is, and 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 so on, I think there there there's, there is a a real lack of uh, understanding, respect, and patience these days. Everything has to happen tomorrow online now nowadays, which is a bit of a shame. Yes, I, I actually, if we're doing this on a much more minor level, in that case, I will also give a tip of the hat to Tesco because I bought um, two of their finest pork chops, and. Um, really weird in so much as the mark hodge is going to be a better better explain this the actual rind on the edge of the fat hadn't been trimmed which i thought was a bit odd on because generally speaking i'm you know i'm a sainsbury's guy the difference between the bog standard one and their um taste difference is that the, it's been properly trimmed and dressed so you don't end up with a sort of gigantic so it's the same source of meat it I, that doesn't look particularly different, if I'm honest. I'd be reticent to blind taste it, um, but it's just it you know it preps a, a great deal easier and 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 works rather better as a result. And I facetiously tweeted Tesco's, and they actually asked for um, some details, and they came back to me saying, "Yeah, we've looked at it. I, you know, it seems legit. We'll, we'll have a look at trying trying to instigate trimming it, you know, as soon as we can," which I thought was reasonable enough. So go them. There you go. That's two consumer wins on the podcast this week. Yes. There we go. Pork and Mustangs, the staples <laughs> of life. Pork and horses. Yeah, well, you know, look at it this week. The pork, pork chops, Mustangs, and Black Friday were turning into Americans, people. Yes, the 51st I'm, state is here. I, I managed to resist saying anything when you mentioned limp mode. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to us all occasionally, Phil. There you go. It's only it's only taking them twenty minutes to wake up, but there we go. Mark's Mark's back, people. Mark's back. Right. Seeing as you're back, Mark, what competitions can we win? Yeah, right. We've got two competitions closing on thirteenth of December. You can win a Dream Screen Smart Backlighting Kit and a Mio MyView C three thirty dash cam. Any previous competition winners? Yep. Uh Huddy seventy two won Batman versus Two Face on DVD. Okay, so let's move on to, finally, let's move on to something that we're supposed to talk about on this podcast, uh, and that's hardware news. So Toshiba are selling its uh, TV division to Hisense for $114 million. 
doesn't sound like a hell of a lot of money when you look at a lot of acquisitions these days, which tend to be in the billions. Uh, but then again, Toshiba haven't really been making TVs outside of their home market in Japan for a long time now, Steve. Um, they've actually sold the IP off to various companies. So what is it that's actually being sold this time around to Hisense? Well, I think that they've physically sold their entire physical TV. So it's not intellectual property, right? It's actually, the, I guess, the factories, the, you know, the production plants, whatever they've got left. Not a lot by the looks of it. Um, has been sold to Hisense. But I am going to be curious as to see how this does affect existing deals because only back in September, they announced a joint venture with Vestel, uh, certainly for the European market, to make TVs. Uh, Now they've sold their entire TV division to Hisense. So presumably that means that Toshiba's TV division and the name Toshiba now belongs to Hisense when it comes to TVs. And haven't... Haven't, hasn't Hisense got a deal with Sharp? Yes, they bought the Sharp um, name in North America and South America, I think, the Americas. <laughs> so, yes, they're, um, it's it's quite a turnaround, isn't it? I mean, we've been talking about this a few times on the podcast, but you've got a few uh, massive TV manufacturers in the past, like Sharp and Toshiba, who are now basically uh, entirely closing down their operations and selling them off to Chinese yeah, manufacturers I, like I think I think Toshiba is an isolated case, though, Steve, in, in so much as uh, the whole accounting scandal um, with Toshiba, the, the whole point of the f- selling off the family jewels, basically, to pay the fines um, that, that, that have been fined because of the whole uh, debacle that went on in Japan um, with the, with the a, finances. This is a drop in the ocean compared to the trouble they are in. Exactly, yeah. yeah. With but, the nuclear power station and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. But, but this is them obviously selling off a lot of the family jewels to try and raise capital to try and you know offset a lot of these other, other issues. Doesn't look they haven't the sold all... Fire sale. Wasn't the sale for 95%? Yeah, 95%. And it, so it they goes, clearly plan to be around for a little bit longer. You know, they've kept a... a I think a, that might be to do with those licensing deals with the likes of... Um, yeah. All right. With Vessel, which I think are limited time and run out since like 2020 or something like that. So those licensing deals probably just will run their course. But yeah, it is, it's sad to see a company like Toshiba in so much trouble. Um, you know, given there was a time, wasn't there, in the 80s when. Well, back in the 80s, yeah. They were synonymous with TVs. Yeah. Oh, Toshi got a Toshiba. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does seem weird that, you know, we've kind of gone from rebadging things being quite a kind of dirty word and it would be almost like a bait and switch to, to put in a, a kind of cheaper version in a in a kind of more prestigious brand's general range down at the bottom end to in this one you've got a decent name that's massively fallen from grace and you know the high sense sets are getting some good kind of feedback some decent reviews they're 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 doing a lot better so in essence you it seems like a pretty good deal all round yeah there's a lot of this going on i mean samsung this year have mopped up so many different companies uh, when yeah. it comes to consumer electronics, especially on the audio side, which gives you an idea of their intent, what they intend to do over the, over the next few years, because um, you know big companies like that they can't just focus on one area of the market; they focus across the, you know huge areas of different markets. And again, all these companies are LG is a good example. You know, you've got LG Display, which is a separate company to LG Electronics, which is different to LG Power, which is different to LG whatever. And at one point, I think they had a toothpaste company. So it shows you how. <laughs> You know how many subsidiaries under one name there can be. So, um, and it's just you know it's just getting that to the state now where if you look at the TV market, um, you look at OLEDs, they're all using one one supplier there, all the manufacturers. If you look at the LED LCD TVs, um, there's quite a few uh, panel manufacturers have closed down. 
So I yeah. think there's only two suppliers now. Um, two major ones, yeah. Two major ones. And this this is the way the whole market is, is going to go, is trying to keep costs down, but keep product productivity and products high. But you're going you're gonna to find that there's parts shared amongst most of the consumer electronics companies these days. Gone are the days where they would develop their own things in their own labs. This has been recognised in areas of high technology for some time. I mean, it, it initially was uh, most obviously seen in very specialist areas like, you know, uh, space space machinery, defence, and so on and so forth. But as stuff gets more and more complicated and the economies of scale required to make it cost-effectively become more severe, you can't just have a medium-sized plant knocking out 4K, high-dynamic range, fully-licensed screens. It just coalesces and coalesces and coalesces. Um, so you end up with a number of notional players in the game, but the actual pool from which they're pulling their hardware will get smaller we've already seen it um with uh things like computer processors and all sorts of other things it's just uh, it is the nature of things it, it's not necessarily bad for the consumer but it does start to restrict the um, the, the amount of available sources that, inf- that that this machinery and equipment can come from I go back to my visit to uh, Panasonic, which wasn't that long ago. I think it was 2011. Um, and my visit there, uh, I saw the huge plasma factories um, where where the panels were made, where they cut the glass and, and so on and, and made these panels. And uh, they were so enormous that a motorway actually run through the middle of, the, <laughs> of this site. I mean, that's how big. And I actually uh, also went to the brand new IPS manufacturing plant um, which had just been built and was running at full capacity. Within 12 months of my visit, both of those huge areas had shut down, stopped production. Like a brand new factory, which had only just opened 12 months previous, was closed down because they suddenly were not cost-effective and not worth running anymore. And and we're talking about huge areas of land and huge factories where they were, they were churning out massive numbers of these things, and yet they still couldn't make money on it and had to close them down. Uh, three years ago, Panasonic were, I think, the seventh uh, largest TV supplier globally, and now they're not even anywhere near the top ten. So they've dropped like a stone in that in that market yeah. as well. I mean, it's by design. They, 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 they um, dropped out a bit to maximise profits, haven't they? But, um, yeah, it just goes to show how volatile that market is, really. So we mentioned uh, we mentioned Vestal in there. So they have announced this week that their TVs are going to get Dolby Vision, which is yet another big shot in the arm for for Dolby Vision um, and Dolby in general. You know, it's uh, it's another thumbs up for their format. And interesting that we're talking about the level of TVs here, Steve, where the technology will really suit them. Yeah, it's in- it's really interesting that they're going to be putting this into their you know their lower tier models because up until now it's been all high end. Uh, TVs that have had Dolby Vision, but actually where it really adds benefit is in the less capable displays, where the dynamic metadata can really help it deliver a, a, more, a more pleasing, more watchable HDR experience. So the fact that they're going to be doing it throughout their entire range, by the looks of it, uh, is big news, because up until now, a lot of manufacturers, and I'm thinking of someone like Panasonic, for example, you know, whose main reason for going with HDR10+, Plus was they said you know it was too expensive to get Dolby Vision and they couldn't use it in their lower tier models and therefore it didn't add as much value as HDR10+. Plus. Um, but obviously Vestel have a completely different opinion on that. And um, yeah, I think this is interesting news because I mean it adds yet another manufacturer and a big one um, globally uh, to the Dolby Vision camp. Um, and as we were saying, I think only last week, you know, if you look at you know people that support it and the content that's available already, Dolby Vision seems to be um, stealing a march on uh, HDR10 Plus in quite a big way. 
I mean, it, it might make sense for Vestal as a company not to put all that R and D into into the processing, re- you know, learning how to process it and make processes for it, and it might just be an off the shelf solution that makes financial sense. Well, you guess it is. If that's why they've done it. Certainly makes sense given the amount of work that we have done in this particular area over yeah. the last decade. That it makes absolute sense for, the, for you know if you, if you don't want to invest the kind of money that would be involved, or you don't necessarily have the expertise you think you have, they just get Dolby to come in and do it for you. I mean, to a certain extent, that's what uh, LG have done, and it's been very successful for them, hasn't it? It, it is. It comes down to, to bodies in the game, and I think Steve's right. If this, you know, if if another another person comes down on the side of Dolby Vision, also rather undoing the arguments of some other manufacturers who haven't, uh, it, it, it's quite quite a strong quite a strong argument for them. Yeah, I I think it's now getting to the stage like HD DVD versus Blu-ray, like VHS versus Betamax and so on. Um, the pendulum's now swinging, I think, towards Dolby Vision. And I think anybody that doesn't offer that next year, is the possibilities there is is that they're going to lose sales. It is yeah, pretty so. impressive how, how it's built momentum for what could have at one point was kind of seen as a, a, a quite a niche USP seems to have become well established in a relatively short space of time yes i would agree with that i think it's been marketed very well from the very beginning actually i think they've marketed it as kind of being this great feature and but in the last few months there's been you know, a couple of key factors that have pushed its support one of them being apple using it on itunes that's a big deal i mean that's a, that's a big library of films suddenly available that wasn't before uh obviously netflix using it as well things like stranger things too and Star Trek Discovery being available in Dolby Vision has been a big push for its profile. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then in terms of manufacturers, there's been, I think, Vestal. Obviously, Vestal were involved before because Toshiba announced that they were using it um, at, at um, IFA. And that was in conjunction with Vestal. So maybe that was the beginning of that particular relationship. Whether Toshiba will continue to do so, it seems unlikely, given they're going to be part of Hisense who aren't supporting it. Um, but even so, there's still a, a you know, a large number of manufacturers now supporting Dolby Vision. Yes, there's two major holdouts, which is obviously Samsung, who I don't think are ever going to do it unless they absolutely have to. Uh, and Panasonic clearly made a decision that they won't, but they've left the door open. They haven't said so they're definitely not going to do it in the future. They've always said, you know, it depends on how the market changes. So you might see them changing their mind next year. There's more momentum um, behind Dolby Vision. And also, if it takes, I mean, we'll see how quickly they can get HDR10 Plus added to the um Ultra HD Blu-ray specs, but given that only one studio currently has announced any support for it, even then I don't think it would be particularly well supported. Well, I mean, just just look at how long it actually took uh, 4K Blu-ray to come to market itself, um, and how long that took for them to decide on the HDR formats and all the rest. I mean, you're talking 18 months of negotiation and all the rest to get that in place, to then have it added to the product, to then get the product out there. Um, You're talking about adding HDR+, plus. okay, so you don't have to go through the whole process again, but you're talking about committees, and committees move in years, not months or weeks in terms of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mentioned after IFA that when I spoke to Panasonic, their um, guy who represents the Blu-ray division was very optimistic about having everything done by the end of the year and time for CES. When I spoke to uh, the head of the Blu-ray Disc Association, he was saying, "They're saying what? Oh, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, there's, there's a lot of members of this of this association, and all of them have to agree." Uh, and that takes time, and he seemed to think that having it done by you know, by the end of this year was very, very optimistic. So, uh, so, so we should bit, see, I guess, at CES. So he's a bit like you when he says deadlines. Then, yeah, so it's all fantasy. Um, okay. So, uh, can I just query something? Did you say Hisense weren't supporting Dolby Vision? 
No. No, you didn't, or no, they're not. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> no, they aren't supporting not Dolby going Vision. Um, they, they've said they're going to use HDR10+. Oh, right. Sorry, last I, I checked, there was a, a fairly decent set. I think it was only available on the American market that I could have sworn had Dolby Vision. Have they not they put it in They definitely toyed with it uh, in the past. But when I spoke to them at IFA, they said, no, we're going HDR10+, with all of our TVs next year. Right. Um, and also Quantum Dot. So they're kind of positioning themselves along with Samsung, basically, as, as far as their approach for next year is concerned. Uh, right, so that's Dolby Vision of Vestal. Uh, let's quickly go through some more of these TV uh, news for this week. And Harmony Remotes and Sony TVs get Alexa voice control, Mark. They do. Okay, the great. Thanks very much for that. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. I don't know what else to say about that, really. <laughs> you can ask a television to ask Alexa to change your channels and change your input source and play this, play that. Um, I was messing about with it. I haven't got a TV I can check it on, but I, I've got Plex on my shield, and you can um, you can control Plex, which is a media software, uh, front-end and back-end. Um, you can use Plex, a voice control on Alexa to control Plex in a limited way, and it's the most frustrating thing I've ever had. Yeah, well, you see, I'm Scottish, so I just stay away from these uh, voice recognition systems altogether. <laughs> Yeah, you do have to be very explicit because obviously it does it on the Sony TVs now. Where it's a beta version of it, and and I mucked about with it uh, with the XE85, and uh, as long as you're very clear and precise in your instructions with Alexa, it's all fine. <laughs> but as soon as you uh, just start using any kind of colloquialisms or vernacular, it just, she starts losing the plot pretty quickly. You're not um, supposed so to like... use slang at them, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> just to be clear, tell on that this. to my Put wife. <laughs> my my, yeah. my favorite my favorite sketch that pops up on Facebook now and again, people post it, repost it, is the voice recognition lift in Scotland. Yes. It is absolutely hilarious. If you've never seen it, um, highly recommend you go and hunt that video down. It's, it's only like two minutes long, but it's uh, they're trying to get the floor of living. I still like the um, the story, actually not a million miles from your neck of the woods, Phil, where um, uh, Mercedes was doing its sort of global launch uh, to uh, representatives from various different countries, and it was the launch of the last S class, which had full voice implementation. It's like we have tested this around the world. It's you know we've done the, that weird, almost old English di uh, dialect off the coast of New that island off the coast of New England. We've done all you know we've been to the the depths of the of the southern states and all sorts of places. And the bloke from um, Mercedes Benz UK goes, uh, "Have you tested it in Gateshead?" No. He goes, "Could you test it in Gateshead?" And it just completely and utterly was unable to cope with Geordie, <laughs> <laughs> requiring a substantial re rework to the software. So, um, yeah, I think that's just great. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've lived here nearly 20 years, and, and, and I'm from Scotland, and I still don't understand the locals around here in the North East. Oh, fantastic them. accent. I love You'd it. You'd never get a Geordie in the next series of Knight Rider. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be entertaining, though. Uh, right, so Steve, you mentioned the Sony uh, XE85, not the EX85, but the XE85. And you've also got the Panasonic EX750, not XE750, but EX750. <laughs> yeah, if I get through this piece without confusing those two prefixes, I'll, I'll be amazed. Um, yes, the XE85 from Sony, which is their kind of mid to low range TV. So it sits below the XE90, which has got a direct LED um, full, local, full, you know, full local dimming system. So this one doesn't have direct LED, doesn't have local dimming. But I've got to say, uh, so I went into it perhaps with um, limited expectations, thinking, well, I was impressed by the XC90, but this isn't going to have those features. So it'd just be a, you know, an LCD TV. 
But actually, I've got to say, I was really, really impressed by it. I thought it absolutely it was fantastic. Um, you can get it for less than a thousand pounds. So, 55 inch TV for less than a thousand pounds. I thought performance wise, it was absolutely fantastic. It delivered a really nice picture. Uses a VA panel, so viewing angles are a bit limited, but you get good back levels. Uh, the shadow detail and cross performance is really good. Um, the colours were fantastic. A nice, accurate colour performance really popped off the screen. I um, was watching Planet Earth, not Planet Earth 2, so Blue Planet 2 uh, on it and was well impressed by the quality of the image it was delivering. So certainly um, in daytime viewing particularly, it's, it's a cracking little telly. And then even at nighttime with the lights down, um, the backlight uniformity was good. So it, it handled that as well as well. So I was genuinely impressed by this TV. I thought, well, this, this is, I mean, I think Sony have had a good year. I think they've delivered some really cracking tellies this year, um, both in terms of OLED and LCD. Uh, and this was a, just a nice sort of cherry on the you know, icing on the cake, if you like, with um, a, a really good mid, mid to low end TV that also delivers a cracking picture performance. It has the uh, X1 processor, not the X1 Extreme, so there's no Dolby Vision or anything like that with this TV. But, um, but even so, the, the processing was excellent. The motion handling was really good. Um, the upscaling was excellent. And uh, it's got Android TV. You know, you can now control it with Alexa if you want. Um, you know, the remote control actually is different to the one that comes with the XE19 above. So it hasn't got the, the, the low, the really low form buttons and, and rubberized feel, which most people don't like. This is just a normal remote with raised buttons, which I actually much preferred. And uh, yeah, I, I thought for the money, it was an absolutely cracking telly. And I was really impressed. The cherry icing, so that what's was, that? Yeah, I was going to say the cherry on the... Then I thought maybe it should be the icing on the cake. Right. With the cherry on top. I just thought it was some new, <laughs> new kind of icing that you could get cherry-flavoured icing. You probably you could. Simply you can get any flavoured icing, if you ask. I don't know. Uh, I'm not yeah. allowed it, so I, I don't no, know. No, no. Shh, don't tell Over me. to Hodge. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> not a um, pastry chef, then. <laughs> Obviously, Hodge's done his bit now. He's, he's lost the will to live now. Well, he, <laughs> he's... Well, he's He's really wants cup of tea. Yeah, he wants he wants his spot to get nut cup of tea number two and under underway. <laughs> we might hear from him by the end of the podcast when when he says yeah. goodbye. Uh, right. So also the Panasonic then. Yes, the EX750, which, uh, as far as I am aware, is the only new TV this year that supports 3D. So a bit of a a rarity Ooh. these days. The last of a dying breed, if not. I, mean, I suspect there won't be any next year. Um, but yes, the EX750 supports Active Shutter 3D. Uh, it's basically uh, Panasonic's flagship LED LCD TV for this year because um, most of their emphasis is obviously placed on their OLED lineup now. But uh, yeah, it's got edge LED backlighting, local dimming, 3D support, HDR, of course, HDR10, hybrid log gamma, and obviously they'll be adding HDR10 plus at some point next year. Uh, wide color gamut as well, support. Um, and in terms of the image quality, as you would expect with Panasonic, nice, accurate image, not as accurate out of the box as some of the other TVs that I've measured this year, but certainly with the calibration controls available, you can get an absolutely reference performance from this television. Um, in terms of its uh, SDR performance, very, very good. HDR performance, good in the sense that it's got good tone mapping and an accurate and wide color gamut, but not very bright. Only got 420 nits out of this TV, so actually pretty dim um, for an HDR television. So you're not getting the specular highlights you would get from a brighter TV, but otherwise actually quite a solid HDR performance. Um, and obviously a good 3D performance, which is, which is I think, the main selling point of this TV. The only area where it perhaps dropped down a little bit was in terms of its motion handling, which was quite poor, uh, surprisingly. So even with IFC, um, infrared frame creation turned on, it still was quite jittery in the test um, with the, that scrolling pattern test, which surprised me. Obviously limited viewing angles because, again, it's a VA panel, but that means it does have good 
black levels and the local dimming is quite effective the big downside with this tv for me is just the design it just looks so old-fashioned i mean not only is it, is it sort of 3d which seems like about four years ago but it looks like it was made about four years ago with a big chrome quad stand that you used to see on um, samsung tvs and a, and a wide chamfered bezel that again you used to see on set so basically if you look at a, a, a samsung tv from about two three years ago and put put a flat rather than a curved screen on it. It's, this is what this TV looks like. So it's, it's not it's, it's not new. They discovered a large warehouse full of. <laughs> it's like oh cock, we've got to do something with this and uh, and kicked it out the door. Sometimes it does feel a bit like that. <laughs> uh, obviously, it isn't because you can tell by the panel and, and everything else involved in it that, and what it does. But uh, there was a certain element of like this feels like it. They they just sort of dropped them in from from 2013. Um, it also weighs a ton, absolute ton. It's really heavy. Um, and, and and it swivels on its stand, which is another rarity these days. Again, something you haven't seen for about the last three or four years. Uh, you get it for one thousand eight hundred and forty-nine pounds, so it's not cheap, um, but not yeah, bad but the, for a but they're using the, screen uh, size. Yeah, but at that price, Steve, they're, it's retro. You see, this is why they're, they're yes. charging that money. It's a retro screen. See, I, I, know, <laughs> I, I, used, I, the word, I used the word retro in the review. Baby <laughs> forums does marketing. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's a it's a competent performer. Um, it's not. The, I wouldn't say it's the best looker. Uh, it's reasonably priced for 65-inch screen size. And, of course, it does 3D. So 3D is important to you. That's the main reason you're going to be buying it. But I think otherwise, I mean, it certainly comes worthy of a recommendation for that basis alone. But but in terms of competition, there is some pretty competitive uh, uh, TVs out there that deliver a better overall performance in terms of SDR and particularly HDR. Okay. Thanks for that, Steve. Uh, right. So moving on, uh, Ed's not going to talk about cars for at least 10 minutes while he talks about his NADs. I'm going to talk about some NADs, yes. We don't review that many NAD, N-A-D. I've never quite worked out which one they actually want, amplifiers. Um, But one that we did look at uh, not too long ago was the 368. And that was somewhere on the cusp of being uh, switching over from being an integrated amplifier to being an all-in-one system. It did so much uh, of its own processing and source work that you didn't necessarily need to connect anything else to it and this appears to be a a path that the company is pursuing in other in other areas the 338 is less expensive than the 368 it's 600 rather than 800 plus depending on which options you go for with the 368 um and it's an integrated amplifier you get um a small number of line inputs a phono stage and some digital inputs but the big story and why it, it it's been been brought to the attention of uh, forum viewers is that it is Chromecast enabled. Uh, it can sit on your wireless network or your wired network, um, and if you already have Chromecast and Chromecast enabled devices, it simply joins in that family of units. So you can shift audio to it in exactly the same way you would any other Chrome enabled device on in in your group, and it really is quite an interesting one because it shifts over how you start using that product i mean in so much as obviously i reviewed it properly i connected other things to it and so on and so forth but for the most part i just found myself booting up tidal and chromecasting it to the nad and and that was just the most logical and most comfortable way of using it and it's it's very very interesting because it's actually if you like it's 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 two halves of a of a review set because there's another 600 pound amplifier which actually I just finished writing the copy for yesterday fun fact um 
which is almost the complete opposite in so much as it has no digital inputs it wouldn't know what to do with a wireless network or a bluetooth transmission and it's you know that if you like there's two radically different approaches to to how you can spend the money and contextually which one is better for you is going to depend heavily on what equipment you already have but um for a quite a long time amplifiers have sort of ticked along as a stable product category whilst the the things that you plugged into them change dramatically it's now their turn to do some quite dramatic changes and and the nad is 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 a, a great example of that sonically i thought it um you know uh, the review will, will give you more of the details but sonically i thought it was a pretty enjoyable listen i'm not blown away by the aesthetics but I, anyone that is blown away by the aesthetics of a gray box you have different priorities to me but this you know to me looking at the way that a number of, of forum members now listen to to music consume audio and so on and so forth this just struck me as a, a particularly clever product for a, a, a you know a number of a number of people and i think nad should be congratulated for trying something a little bit different with it wow that was seven minutes on on topic i know that's it now by the way i'm i'm, I'm a spent force <laughs> You're now in limp mode, are you? Oh, I'm in, I am in limp mode, yes. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, I think that's enough for hardware this week. And we'll be back in a sec with some movie news. If we're taking suggestions for possible future content, can I put in uh, my vote for Ed's blind taste test of pork chops? <laughs> rind on, rind on. Yeah, yeah. Christmas is Christmas is going to it's going to be surreal, isn't it? Yeah. Do you not own a knife? <laughs> Have you tried? A, a uh, serious question. Shears, I'd buy some kitchen shears. Buy some kitchen shears. Unfortunately. They're I don't have don't have a pair because do, trying to do it with a knife, Steve, is impossible. Yeah. Wait for Black Friday up. and see if they pop up on Amazon. I I'm going to send you a link after this podcast. My kitchen shears are fantastic. Thank you. That would be appreciated. Can we do movie news now? No, we're on pork. <laughs> <laughs> I don't rate pork. Anyway, then we're in Britain. Yeah. Right, Steve, do you want to review Paddington 2? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Paddington 2. Uh, sequel, obviously, to Paddington, which was a bit of a surprise does, does hit he eat, three years ago. Does he eat pork at all? No, he predominantly eats marmalade. Right, okay. Cool. Uh, in sandwich form. He is, he is forced to eat some other things too in the film, but not pork, as far as I'm aware. I'm not saying he doesn't like pork. I mean, he's a bear. They're omnivorous, right? So he probably would eat pork. But um, in the film, it's mostly marmalade sandwiches. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, the original film was a, was a, a big surprise because I, I've got to say, personally, I didn't really like the look of it in the trailers but absolutely loved it when i saw it it was charming and funny and had a lovely positive message about immigration and inclusiveness and uh, you know tolerance so unfortunately that message obviously was lost over the last three years because coming back to the sequel now to a very different britain <laughs> that seems less tolerant um and the film still has the same message obviously in it uh, one of immigration and tolerance and acceptance and uh, multicultural living all very good and positive but it's, it's basically just more of the same, if not slightly better, I'd say, it's because it's got a really good villain. Um, I think the villain in the form of Nicole Kidman in the first film wasn't as good as Hugh Grant, who's possibly delivering the performance of his career as Phoenix Buchanan, a washed-up actor who's basically um, Paddington's uh, nemesis in this film. And he is <laughs> is it based really... on his own experience in a washed-up actor? <laughs> yeah. 
he's so he's so funny in it and just absolutely brilliant and for god's sake stay through the credits because there's a sequence within halfway through the credits it's absolutely pure genius so um yes it, i think it's a better film because it's got a better villain and uh, the plot's great it's got some really good supporting characters it's very very funny uh and lots of good slapstick and some really good um sort of subtle jokes for the adults as well as the, as good jokes for the kids and uh, overall uh, yeah i thought it was as good as if not slightly better than the first film um and ben wishaw because I, I remembered after I came out, I thought oh, originally it was going to be Colin Firth that did the voice of Paddington, but then they they decided just before the film came out that his uh, it wasn't working because his voice was too recognisable, and they got Ben Whishaw to do it instead. And he's brilliant as the voice because he's got this strange combination of youth and experience and wisdom almost in the voice that really really works with Paddington. And uh, the animation's fantastic uh, of the bear himself. And I absolutely loved it. So um, I highly recommend Paddington. I think Kamara gave it 10 out of 10. And I would, would be in, in, along similar grounds, I think. Uh, 10 really? Out of 10. Bloody hellfire. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Now, does, is there any um, ambiguous thank slash fuck moments in this? Or is that purely related to the advert? Yes, that's only in the advert, which they played before the film started. And I've got to say, it sounds like thank you to me. So. Oh, uh, right. The, okay. They must have fixed it then. Yeah. It, the, <laughs> yeah, they probably fixed if, it. If you watch the, the YouTube version, it certainly does not say that. But then again, that could have been tampered with as well. So you, you never know. The first film, Steve, I would say it was surprising and it was entertaining. But that's all it was, to be honest, in, in my opinion. So I'm really not getting this, this love fest for Padding 2. Um, I think both you and Kamari are, are off your nuts. <laughs> And yeah. it's a nice tight, tight ninety minutes. No mucking about. <laughs> well, well, there is there, there is that. Yeah, and, and, and we're getting to that age now, Steve, aren't we? Where, where we start looking at the running times of films and thinking, "Oh Christ, I can't be asked with that man." Oh, <laughs> hour and a half. I'll go and see that. Yeah, or if I'm getting a discount, like what's something tonight? What's that? Like? Three it's hours. Why eighties films are, are brilliant? I mean, you know, eighties films. If you went much beyond ninety-five minutes, you had something seriously important to say, or Arnie needed to kill a lot of people. It wouldn't fit on a VHS otherwise, would it? No, this is true. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that was that. that wasn't the con- consideration, Mark. But yes, there is. No, secret. no. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. One hundred eighty. It was one hundred eighty minutes. Was the. Average sort of, and then you got two forty minutes, didn't you? After a few years, we're back to VHS again. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Come well, to get tech. Similarly, as we mentioned, the eighties. I did uh, finally get finished on uh, Stranger Things two. Is it? Is everybody else oh, finished now? Night. Yeah, you got yeah. finished on it as well. Last night, Mr. Right? Uh, I'm taking out my headphones. <laughs> you what? Huh? <laughs> taking out your headphones? Yep. I don't want to hear. I know, oh. No, we're, we're not going to spoil it, don't worry. Right. I'm just checking it to see where everybody is with it. I haven't minute. started yet. Yeah, I'm not going to say specific, but there were quite a lot of plot holes I found. Uh, yes, there, there was some decision making, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, there were some things like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, yes, but it, still very good. Let, let's just say that this uh, there were some issues that Steve had with um, Prometheus and uh, Alien Covenant. That could very well his criticism could very well be applied to certain characters in Stranger Things. Would I be right in that, Steve? I, I think as one character does something that I would definitely wouldn't do. Yes, <laughs> in the same circumstances. <laughs> yes, we'll leave it. We'll uh, leave it at that. But I have to say, uh, it lived up to expectations. It wasn't a disappointment. It wasn't weak. There was one episode which didn't run um, concurrently with the story. Um, and felt a bit odd and out out of place, but I'm sure that comes season three, that will yeah, be explained. Um, yeah, I think they were setting setting up a different storyline there. But I got to say, the, the excuse me, 
Yeah. All <laughs> oh, right, I thought somebody was rifting. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got to say, I, I thought the acting was absolutely superb. The kids are knocking it out of the park. If if these these kids do not go on and have long careers in acting, there's something wrong because they they are really hitting it out of the park. Um, Did you see how much they were growing up though during the course of that? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was quite funny. It was quite funny in that respect. And I also caught that documentary they were on about Spielberg. Uh, caught up with that on Now TV. Um, that was really entertaining as well, Steve. Um, so thanks for that recommendation. That filled in two and a half hours very nicely. Also caught up with the latest Family Guy. Have you yeah, seen I it? I watched yet? one last night. It's, last. The one where it's Peter's the pimp. That was it's really it's getting back on form, isn't it? It it kind of, and I think the fact as well that what's happening in Hollywood right now, <laughs> and the fact that Seth MacFarlane was drop was dropping hints at what was going on a number of years ago in terms of some jokes uh, within, I think people's attention's now turning back to Family Guy and thinking what else is Seth MacFarlane telling us about what's going on in Hollywood? I mean, obviously the one that still remains the most confusing is the uh is the kendall jenner you know that that sequence with a pre-kendall jenner apparently it's a form of abuse to refer refer to someone in their old to their old identity but that just whether it's just the luckiest wild guess in the history of the universe or there was something else going on there i don't know that's very peculiar (laughs) and most annoyingly i i got is it not caitlin jenner Oh, Caitlin, yes, sorry, Kendall is one of the children, isn't it? I always get confused. It is, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it? <laughs> I hate that I know that. <laughs> yeah. So, and what's more, that that probably removed a fact that you actually wanted to retain from your brain. Yeah. That's what happens these days. You know. Yeah. So, um, yes, I think it's getting back on form. Certainly, uh, I... I don't know if people are watching this on ITV or on Fox. I've been watching Fox, so I'm assuming that they are completely up to date. Um, Steve? Yes, this is the new series, isn't it? The most yeah. 16th yeah. season, I believe. This is incredible. Yeah, and, and I've got to say, it's back on form. I've watched all four episodes so far, and it's really good. And most annoyingly, I started getting into Westworld. Got up to episode five, absolutely loving it. Yes, I know I'm, I'm miles behind everybody else, but I don't know. care. I, I want more Give people on board with it because they are. Tr- it's tremendously expensive to make, and I just it just blew me away. I just thought it was absolutely astounding. Well, the most the most annoying thing, Ed, is that I finished episode five and it's disappeared. It's gone now. Oh, it's no longer on so. Now TV. Um, don't so. worry, it'll be back, Phil. Don't you worry about it. It'll pop back up again in a couple of months. Just you can come down to mine and watch it. Watch it as box sets. Oh, you, you could just push your box set up to me. That'd be easier. No, no, I, no I mean, it's, it's a sky, sky, box, sky box set. Oh, All right. Come to me, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a hell of a round trip. Bed, Although, the, bed the new Mustang in. I was just going to say, um, yeah, I probably need to do that, yeah. Steve will send you his disc, won't he? No, I won't. You're alone, you miserable kid. Solidarity, brother. <laughs> okay, so that's Paddington 2. Um... <laughs> Films up in this Friday, Steve. Yeah, yeah, another sequel, uh, Daddy's Home 2, uh, which is obviously the sequel to Daddy's Home. Um, uh, I'm of... completely unaware of Daddy's Home. I've never heard of it. Tell, tell uh, me all I've about got it. On disc. I'm, I'm uh, sure you have because it sounds like a really shite film and it's something that you would have on disc. I've never heard of it before, so please explain what the plot you, is. Do you know why I bought it on Blu ray? Because it had DTSX soundtrack back in the days when that was a big deal. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Daddy's home. Uh, the premise is essentially that Will Ferrell is a stepfather to a kid. His wife's ex-husband 
um, turns up again after years of um, being not being around, played by Mark Wahlberg. Uh, you know, and obviously there's a, the two of them are trying to trade off, you know, battle each other for, for the kids' attention. They like, didn't make it. <laughs> so, so this is uh, a miss then at the cinema this week. We can miss well, it this depends, one. Depends on uh, on whether you like Mark Wahlberg, Wahlberg and um, and Will Ferrell in this version in the sequel. Their fathers turn up. So uh, Mel Gibson is Mark Wahlberg's father and John Lithgow is um, Will Ferrell's father and they come up and then there's you know, more of the same, basically. Yeah, I, I'm not going to be going to see the cinema. It's only an hour and 40 minutes, though. It might, it might be in Dolby Vision, though, Steve. <laughs> yeah, we might like that a <laughs> with, with an Atmos soundtrack, which is going to make a huge difference to this type of film. Uh, yeah, so anyway, um, obviously the first one did well enough to, to warrant a sequel. But... Um, and I mean, these days, Mel Gibson will do anything for the money because his career has been. A, well, he's now been... a he's now an honorary Scotsman, isn't he? So. Well, yeah. Uh, although, I don't know. Maybe he's more suited to leader of the Labour Party these days. It's hard to work out. But um, actually, do you know what? I love. I to, will... I'd love to see that film. Ed <laughs> Mel Gibson is Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> Corbyn. <laughs> I will say. Um, thus far, I mean, who knows where the Hollywood sex scandal is going to take us next? Thus far. Uh, Mel, I mean, you know, he might be a, an angry, drunk racist, but thus far he doesn't appear to have inappropriately touched anybody, except perhaps that traffic police lady who he called Sugar Tits. Yeah, that wasn't his finest moment, was it? Yeah, but it would appear that he kept his hands to himself. <laughs> yes. You know, if we're in the new in the new Hollywood, could this be the redemption of Mel Gibson? <laughs> It's it's getting so ridiculous that it's almost like one of those inserts that you would see in Family Guy or The Simpsons where the executives in Hollywood just want to invent an editing machine that just removes actors in terms of their popularity well, at any given well, you time. Start filming, refilming sequences for a finished, completed film that's about to come out, spending a considerable amount of money to re- recast and refilm Kevin Spacey's part um, from um, All the Money in the World. That's a that's a big decision to make. Is I mean that's incredible that they were doing that with a film. Yeah, I mean, but do, I mean, do, you think, guys... do you think some of that was marketing, though, Steve? Because nobody heard so, of because... this film. <laughs> yeah, Ridley Scott directed it, but no one had heard of it. It was like, oh, what? Um, well, and I don't think side, people though, are not going to go and see it because Kevin Spacey's in it, are they? Really? Or is that going to? Be... On the plus side, I hadn't started watching House of Cards yet, and uh, if if they re-edit that. <laughs> I think I'll get through it. I'll tell you what, a, a re of House of Cards without Kevin Spacey would be an interesting experience because <laughs> how they're planning on doing season six without him, God only knows. Because I mean, well, he is the main character. Didn't you see that tweet? It was taking the, it was referencing that Simpsons episode with Poochie, and it's like, I have to go. My my people need me. Frank Frank Carwood died on on the way back to his home planet. <laughs> It amused me anyway. That's because I was. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it is. It's it's almost like one of these cutaways that they do um, in these comedies, right? Um, what do we need to cover now? Blu-ray releases this week, Steve. Blu-ray releases this week. We've got um, Spider-Man: Homecoming. That's coming out on Blu-ray and Ultra HD Blu-ray as well from Sony. Um, I really, really enjoyed the film at cinema. I've got the Ultra HD Blu-ray. It looks and sounds fantastic. It's got Dolby Atmos and Dolby Vision. Uh, I think it's a cracking film. I think they did a really good job with this one in terms of. Um, Rebooting yet again, yeah, Spider-Man. It was, a, it was, right. it was good villain. I had a good, a good villain. Uh, could done with being a little bit shorter, <laughs> as all films could these days. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good disc. Um, and if you're a fan, definitely worth picking I've, up. I've got to say, What's... in terms of a superhero movie, it's uh, it, it's one of the better bad guys, more believable 
bad guys. Yeah, it's got a good. He's got a good backstory and motivation, and I thought um, I think that uh, Michael Keaton plays bad really well. I think he's got the kind of slightly mad look in his eyes that really. The scene when they were talking in the back, it's just talking. The best scene in the film is just the two of them talking in a car, uh, and there's some proper acting going on in there, and it's really good. But um, yeah, it's funny, it's entertaining. Yeah, what more do you want from a comic book film, really? Uh, we've also got The Big Sick, which is a comedy about um, um, an Indian guy, how he met his wife and the circumstances and dealing with uh, her parents' reaction to him being in Indian, that sort of thing, which um, I've got to say looks very funny in the trailers. Uh, also, we've got The Beguiled, which is uh, Sophia Coppola's remake of, um, well, it was done originally with uh, by Don Siegel and um, Clint Eastwood in the early 70s, uh, a tale of a, of a Union soldier who's injured and is being cared for in a, a, a girls' school in the South, and then um, trouble ensues. I've also got Jabberwocky, which was the first film that Terry Gilliam directed on his own. Uh, and actually, I quite like this one. I think it's really funny. And I'm looking forward. This is a Criterion Collection release, so you've got plenty of extras and a cracking new image from a 4K remaster. And finally, Desert Hearts, which again is another Criterion release. Um, a eight, um, I think mid-80s uh, lesbian love story. It was quite a big deal at the time, back when that sort of thing was considered to be quite risque. I uh, went to see uh, mi- mid-80s lesbian love story, support the Foo Fighters. They're a great band. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, Ultra HD new. Well, Ultra HD Blu-ray news really. Uh, so Terminator Two, that's getting released on the fourth of December in the UK, on the twenty-sixth of December in the US. Uh, um, as far as I'm aware, it's the same release. I don't know why it's been really relayed, delayed. I don't know why it's been delayed because it doesn't seem to be any different. Um, and disappointingly, no DTSX soundtrack either, which was definitely mentioned initially when this was first announced. So yeah, was it was, it, was, like, that, was that there when the film was? Uh, Originally released, Steve. Uh, no, not nineteen ninety one. No, I didn't. I didn't think so. So, so we get it close to how it was supposed to be heard. Yeah. Oh, you get a seven channel mix that would be certainly be as as it was intended to be heard at the time. Um, I'm still going to get the three D disc when it comes out on the fourth, uh, just to add to my T two collection. To be perfectly honest. But I'll your um, but your LG doesn't have three D. Nope, the projector does. Oh yeah, yeah, projector. Yeah, forgetting about that. Um, I'll probably pick up the. Uh, Pick up the Blu-ray, the Ultra HD Blu-ray, rather when we're in the states. Well, I've, I've still got it in order, so I'm hoping it'll it'll come through. But with the Christmas post and everything, it probably wouldn't arrive until we were about to leave. So I might as well just pick it up while we're there. Yeah, I've seen it. So uh, <laughs> also announced um, in January, January the 9th, So I'll probably buy this while we're in the states as well. Uh, is it, which is coming out on um, Ultra HD Blu-ray with Dolby Vision? That's the first Warner's title where they've officially announced Dolby Vision is going to be part of the pro, um, the disc. There is Dolby Vision on Westworld, but that was never actually mentioned officially. It's just not even mentioned on the packaging. It just was a bit of a surprise when you put the disc in. Uh, and also coming out in February, Hello High Waters getting a release on Ultra HD Blu-ray again with Dolby Vision. So um, Dolby Vision, again, more titles coming out there. Okay, uh, so that's a UHD Blu-rays and stuff. So uh, TV-wise, obviously we've mentioned what, what we've been catching up on, but uh, the new series of uh, Gas Monkey uh, is out, Ed, Discovery, Monday night. Have you been watching it? No, I haven't, and I, I believe we the dealers might have lurched into life as well without me noticing. I can't, I haven't, I haven't checked. I'm, I'm just so deep into MasterChef at the moment, <laughs> not, not, not literally. You understand, um, but that's my major television, and I, I, I've got at the moment. I have, including my own three, there, there's twenty three thousand pounds worth of record players and record player ancillaries in my house at the moment so um i'm um i'm so spending quite a lot take note if, if you can if they can get if they can run off with some of it then i'm not gonna if they're, if they're strong enough to do that i'm not gonna stop them um uh i have to admit i've been spending a lot of time listening to music 
uh, it seems only fair oh, <laughs> with okay. the amount of yeah. stuff here. So that, that, that's fair enough. Did you uh, did you ever catch uh, Garage Rehab when it was on? I didn't, but that's mainly because um, every time um, it got posted on either Twitter or Instagram, uh, it basically just provoked a level of fury from people going, "This is absolute shite!" And it's like, well, um, if it was one or two people, that. You know, I've, I've got to say, it, it was entertaining, but not in the way that I thought it was going to be entertaining. It was in, I've watched the whole season, because, again, it's on Now TV, uh, yeah. on the catch-up. Um, I watched the whole season one. The, the the most amusing thing about it was the people on it, because um, basically the premise, for people that don't know, it's a bit like uh, one of these uh, makeover shows, uh, but instead of making over a house and stuff, um, Richard Rollins goes into a garage that's underperforming, not making any money, close to closing. They're usually utter shitholes uh, with just junk everywhere and all the rest of it and no flow to it and uh, not getting the type of work in that it should be. And he invests a couple of hundred thousand dollars. When I say invest, he loans it to them. Um, to, and they do up the. He becomes the boss for a week. They do it all up. They, they get the new stands in and, and all the rest of it, lifts and all that kind of thing, and you know, create a, a viable business and then hand it back to them. But these people are, are people that I wouldn't even lend a fiver to. Never mind, thing, never mind a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And that's the most entertaining bit of the whole thing is these people. They they are just stereotypical middle America, basically. And uh, I found that more entertaining than than the rest of the show, to be honest. And the fact that you just know that a lot of these people, the the businesses are going to fail, uh, because you know they are the weak the weakest link, basically. So I found it quite entertaining. I mean, it's the same the same fundamental issue that underpinned um, the uh, certainly the earlier series of Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares, but certainly before he went to the states and they you know overdrammed it. Um, that ultimately a number of these people physically weren't set up to be in business they weren't people that as you say you wouldn't you wouldn't trust them with loose change you found in your back pocket let alone a meaningful investment because you could give them the resources of you know deutsche bank and they'd still manage somehow to lose it all and be in debt within three years um but the problem is that those people in turn make for quite compelling television. So, yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, it's the same way that with, with Master Chef Professionals, we're, we're halfway through the, the group stages. And it's a balance between bringing, finding some, some people who are impressive, talented and, you know, will go on to be really compelling finalists. But showing just enough people who are the human manifest a, a, a physical manifestation of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, to make that appealing. You know, when they turn up for the skills test, it's like, make this. It's like, oh, I've never done that before. Uh, well, we're going to watch you do it for 20 minutes in glorious high definition. So that's who's <laughs> doing them. Cod cheeks from the inside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have to say, I was I was quite disappointed with the Cod's, COD's challenge because I was hoping that someone was going to use the eye as a garnish <laughs> or, or go for the brain, but um, Temple of Doom style. Um, in many ways, people screwed up the pasta thing the following day. Yeah, you seen the Italian woman you thought would have been. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, wasn't, that wasn't her finest hour. Although that episode with the South African bloke who did a perfectly good skills test, but they decided to do a signature dish in MasterChef with no actual cooking. Yeah. Oh, uh, in that, that is pretty much the textbook definition of binning it. Um, so yeah, but anyway, I, I know that Phil doesn't watch it and finds all of this tiresome. I, I, I've never understood cookery stuff because I just get hungry watching it and I want to go and eat. So that's why I. Uh, I, I, I take, as I said before, I take a special delight in eating 
processed shit in front of MasterChef professionals. <laughs> uh, so on Tuesday night, I had a supermarket pizza. Uh, Wednesday night, I did actually cook, in fairness. I was going to say, um, Ed, what happened to this healthy living style, uh, lifestyle you were going to pursue for Vegas? I'm still, still losing weight. I just, as I say, I had, you know, earlier in the day, I had a bowl of vegetable soup. So my calories across the day, still pretty low. Well, you see, um, um, I, I put three pound on. I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. Um, the biggest problem that you've got is that, um, as I say, for me, my single greatest weakness was was beer. Um, you know, that was where an enormous amount of my calorie intake came from. And, you know, removing the, best, the, the, the greater part of that, you know, I keep having to drill new holes in my belt. It's quite impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know what went wrong with that. Well, I do know what went wrong with that one. There's uh, eating the wrong stuff, like freshly made lasagna, Steve, in London, and stuff like that, <laughs> and takeaways and so on. So I've kind of, I kind of fallen off the rails recently, and gone back to my old ways for the last couple of weeks. But it's uh, that's that's finishing now. Back to the diet again. This but, ends now. Yes, uh, Mark. Any decent TV that we can watch? Because obviously we're not watching any decent TV. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, Stranger Things is all I've been watching, really. Uh, yeah, there's a couple yeah, of cracking ones on iPlayer. If anyone's interested, uh, Snowfall has been very good. Is that that BBC Two drug dealing series? Yeah, it? yeah. Crime yeah. drama. Good. I've got all that in the TV actually. Yeah, absolutely excellent because it's all about um, yeah the kind of cocaine explosion in eighties Los Angeles. Um, and so it ties into kind of the CIA, into, you know, illegal wars, that kind of thing. So it, it's very kind of multi-layered. And there's also a cracking documentary a series still on iPlayer uh, about the Vietnam War. Oh, that is fantastic. Which uh, is, I genuinely think it's up there with uh, World at War. I know that sounds, you know, extreme praise, but it is so in-depth. It's, it's who's, doing know, the vo- who's doing the voiceover, the narration? It's not Orson Welles. It's not going to be Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> no, it, Peter it's Coyote. Peter Coyote. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, Good. And, but the, the soundtrack is brilliant. Um, the, the in-depth interviews with the soldiers from all sides and just the level of depth they go into with... Uh, with regards to the background to the war and that kind of thing, the French colonialism, all the all the kind of things that you never learnt at school, you know, I just found it massively informative, really, really. It was good it was never a it was never a, a a British conflict, so it was never really broadcast over here, was it? Really, in terms of, um, they didn't really go into any depth at the time and since, you know, in terms of history. And I, I don't think, you know, I, what I know up to now about the the Vietnam War was was what I picked up through, um, you know. Other cultures, yeah. uh, education, platoon, and <laughs> platoon and, and films, and that kind of thing. But yeah, so yeah, it's interesting that it does go into the depth. It does go into. I mean, I've only managed one one episode, and I felt I fell asleep. But I'll, I'll give it another go. <laughs> it's Ken Burns that's behind it, isn't it? Well done, Ken. Yeah, well done. Anything else interesting that we need to be watching? Because we know about Vietnam. Because Mark, you haven't been on the podcast, but Steve's already, you know. Uh, and been, about it for... bang, been banging on a bit for weeks now, so I think most obviously people... there's the, the Peaky Blinders uh, new season of that's kicked off. Yeah. Now I haven't been watching that, um, but my dad, who doesn't watch a huge amount of television and is hugely reluctant to commit to series, um, is a is a fanatical fan of it, and that it, you know it's quite high praise. He has re- reasonable taste in this regard, so uh, I can only assume it, it must be must be pretty damn good. Although 
all of those Birmingham accents. No, no offence to um, people from that particular part of the world listening to this podcast. It's just not necessarily something I want lots of on television. Sorry. I've watched oh. the first two seasons and they were fantastic. I'm, I'm a season behind though, so I haven't started on four yet. I really struggled with it. Uh, I, yeah, I, yeah, I find that it's the production values kind of draw you in, um, but just some, I uh, just find some of the script writing and, and some of the kind of characterizations turns into kind of swaggering, mach, you know, kind of macho stereotypes, and just a couple of them just look like they're kind of like. I don't know, young hipsters playing at gangsters or something. It's got a bit of the Western about it, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then some, you know, the the music is is decent, but sometimes it it is quite jarring, the kind of old Mm. and new. Uh, You know, it kind of, certain scenes play out like a, you know, like they're kind of directed by someone who's doing a a music video and they just think, what should we, what do we need here? More slow-mo. Slow-mo walking, you know. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, production values are absolutely, you know, off the scale. It looks fantastic and the, the cinematography is great. Wait till you see the slow-mo Ed and Steve walking shots from CES. Oh, The cinematography is going to blow you away. I'm waiting for the drone shots as well. Yeah. And what's the soundtrack going to be There's no drone shots. There's no drone oh, shots. Oh, it's not coming to the desert with us. No, well, you're not allowed to fly them in the desert. It'll get shot out of the sky. Okay. There was, did you not see it the last time we went through the desert? There were signs everywhere saying no drones. I didn't see that. I, I can't remember. I remember I was drinking those enormous cans of Mexican lager. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and you were such a nice person as well. Uh, well, I'm I'm not saying that, you know, obviously I have drastically cut back on my alcohol consumption, but uh, if we can get to a filling station, uh, I won't buy the one with a tomato in because that was horrendous, but we'll, we'll pick up some more giant cans of, of, of Mexican beer for the, okay. for the event. Okay, and on that bombshell, that's it for this week's EV Phones podcast. By the way, Amazon have paid two hundred fifty million right for the rights of Lord of the Rings TV. But I didn't think it was worth talking about, really. Lord of the Rings yeah. on TV, yeah, we can do away with that. Uh, Steve Withers, deactivating instant kill. Mark Hodgkinson, I'm nothing without this suit. Ed Selly, I'm just kidding. I don't care. Bye. And Mark Borrick, I just want to thank you for letting me be a part of your journey again. <laughs> outstanding acting. <laughs> Well done, people. Uh, and don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV Phones for latest reviews, news, and video. And of course, leave us a five star rating, but only on iTunes, but only if you enjoyed the show. I said that wrong, but who cares? I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you for episode 202 next week. Yeah.